Welcome to The Contemplative Life. Three pastors, friends, and spiritual companions help us explore spirituality through a contemplative lens. I'm Christina Roberts. I'm Chris Roberts. I'm Christina Kaiser. We're glad you joined us. Hello. It's great to be with you. Today we are continuing our summer series, exploring the lives of mystics and contemplatives throughout history. And this week we are turning our attention to Teresa of Avila, for which in so many ways I find her remarkably fascinating. She's born in Spain, where her and her family had converted from Judaism to Christianity. That ends up becoming a problem during the Spanish Inquisition because these Catholic clerics are given power to decide if people's conversions are genuine and authentic or superficial. So she goes through having to navigate that water, and that's a whole lot of tension. In the meantime, her mother dies at So she's going through some of her formative years without that figure. She joins the Carmelite order of nuns when she's 21. And then it starts to experience these kind of troubling health issues. She even has this paralysis in her body for a while, which ultimately turns around. It's almost as if she has this miraculous healing experience. She recovers. And then that ushers in this season where she starts experiencing the presence of God. Even there's accounts of her levitating during like mass or like people go to her room and they find her off the ground, but they try to during masses apparently hold her down because it's distracting for other people who are at mass. So comical and interesting. But as you can imagine, somebody with that many things going on in their lives has turned a lot of people to have an interest in hearing what it is she has to say where the spiritual life is concerned. And we're very fortunate because she actually wrote quite a bit in these various books. So she has this one book, The Interior Castle, where she writes a lot about there's this crystal mansions and there are seven of them and they represent different stages in the journey, all leading towards union with God. So she says at the beginning of that journey, You've got this individual soul and it's self-centered and it's distracted. It's like you're a silkworm. You're at the very beginning, spinning your way towards God, but you need a lot of supports. And so the sermons and the mentors and the books become very important. But then as time goes on, you start to experience more and more of God directly. You undergo transformation. Your prayer life eventually starts to become woven into the fabric of your life, service for others and care. So it can all seem pretty good because you're moving from the silkworm, becoming the butterfly, but then inevitably we run into those difficulties of life, which can even be quite devastating in which she had experienced quite a few of them. But you would think, oh, maybe difficulties draw you away from God. She says, instead, they draw you closer to God until finally you reach the seventh mansion where the butterfly actually dies. The union with Christ is complete. So Galatians 2.20, I'm crucified with Christ. I no longer live. Jesus Christ lives in me. So this question of union, I think, is of great interest, but maybe we can back up first to talk a little bit about difficulties in life and difficulties that they're talked about in scripture. We're often told things like count it all joy when the difficulties come because good is going to come out of them. 
and that is always difficult to hear and can even feel a little bit counterintuitive. And yet Teresa of Avila's story forces it, brings it all up again. And so maybe we can start with the question of difficulties in life. When you think about dark nights of the soul and difficulty, how do you process it? Do you feel like it draws you towards God? What do you experience? I love that you even use the language, Christina, of dark night of the soul, because I think she was a contemporary of St. John of the Cross, and they existed at the same time and even had dialogue with one another. And going back to the difficulties in life, I, I really appreciate Teresa's writings because of her attention to distraction, right? There is a lot of distraction in life. And I, one of her famous quotes that I, I really appreciate is, let nothing disturb you. Let nothing frighten you. All things pass away. God never changes. And so that the difficulties of life, and I'm highlighting distraction, really pointing your attention to all these things are fleeting. They come and go, but what is eternal and really shifting our attention to what is eternal. And so I really appreciate that focus whenever difficulties of life come and they are going to come, right? I think anybody who's living this life, this thing of being human is experienced difficulties and just pointing our attention to keep your focus on the eternal. Yeah, it's interesting that she has a, a writing about the interior castles and the different rooms in our internal mansion, because I do think when we walk through difficulties, there's different aspects of that, right? Different stages or awarenesses or seasons of that even, right? There's the complete raw, can I even get out of bed in the morning? Because there's so much that I'm trying to handle and get through. Maybe I'm in pain or there's societal, we're in the middle of a war or depression or things like that. Um, there's the grittiness of it. There's again, m multiple different stages of that. And I think just the other day, I was with someone that uh, grew up in foster care and was just sharing how her experience in foster care and lots of ups and downs in her early childhood and early adulthood, and then came to faith although had a foundation as a young child, came to a stronger faith as, as more of an adult. And again, not that she would have wished that on anybody else, but would not have traded that experience for anything else too, because it's made her who she is today. So there's something about going through the suffering. And even as this is the end of our summer series on the contemplatives, my gosh, just a thread through so many of these stories is the plague or personal, she lost her mother, Teresa of Avila, or sicknesses or things like that, like really intense things that people are walking through. And here they are with all this wisdom centuries later. And so I don't think that's a coincidence all to say. No, I think that's a super fair point that something about those difficulties caused a wrestling that maybe we don't get otherwise. But even as you're talking, I'm reminded Dominique and I watched David Letterman interview the president of Ukraine, as you said that word war. And yeah, I think David Letterman asks, how do you get up in the morning? And it's interesting, the answer, there's like the usual, I need to shower, I need to do the things that normal people do to feel normal. And I need to appreciate whatever is here right now, because I can't wait for some sort of happiness until it's all over when I can't see the end in sight. But it's, it's interesting, because when I think about difficulty, in my own life. And then I think, Chris, you're right. 
she was a contemporary of St. John of the Cross. And they both, because they try to move forward with the break off of the Carmelite order, uh, he ends up being put away in a tower, right? This horrible experience for nine months, I want to say, like in darkness, in a thing that used to be a latrine for people. And she doesn't have quite that bad of an experience. She's sequestered to an upper level in a convent somewhere where her her like rights are stripped from her for a while. These are majors. I have negative things. I have breaking points, moments where I go to God and say, no more bad things can happen for a while. (laughs) Nothing else can be sustained here. But then I think, ooh, I don't know that I have the right to talk about something at that specific level. But I do go to God that eventually I do go there, right? God, this is not going to work. <laughs> and I think too, it's interesting you talking about kind of union with the, that the union with Christ is complete and, and referring to that verse in Galatians. And I think I'm crucified with Christ. Therefore, I no longer live. Jesus Christ now lives in me. I'm sure that there's songs that I've sang about that on, on such a surface level or whatever, but I think there's these mystery and which is a beautiful thing about scriptures or holy texts is that you can go back to them at any point in your life. But as a child, this person that was in foster care, there was something of God that she felt as a three-year-old in, in she went to some church service at, at one point as a three-year-old and, and something very real that she experienced that carried her through some really dark periods. Her now as a I don't know how old she is. Let's just say in her thirties, very different when she talks about that and, and having gone through those things. And so I do think that there's these sort of mysteries of the Bible and scripture and these oneness things that we talk about in contemplative circles that I just think, gosh, you have, again, you have to go through. Like we, I think in our society are, have so many opportunities to numb. And I was just recently talking, like, I think it was Walter Brueggemann who has this beautiful quote about lament is breaking the numbness by admitting pain and loss. And so when we can break that numbness and really get in touch with the pain and loss, that's where the true connection and union and healing and awareness and all that can come from. Not that I'm there. I have plenty of numbing opportunities in my life. Yeah, I think this, what an example of union with God that Teresa of Avila was And I think one of the main practices, I think we all would like this notion of union with the divine, union with God, but was in prayer. And she was having these experiences in prayer. I think the story goes that her order was, there was a conflict. There there were like two opposing sides of this divisive issue within the convent. And she was having a prayer time and she was having a physical experience of the divine where he was speaking to her and she shares this and this brings unity in the order right that and so she then is asked to teach them how to pray and so i've really appreciated learning more about prayer because there are so many, there are so many different ways to pray, right? There's some people would say that meditation is a form of prayer. Some people would say that centering prayer is the way to pray. Some people would say that using words to talk and express. Some people would say that praying the Psalms is so meaningful and connecting to the divine. And so just this whole idea of union with God is conversation. It's the pouring out of your soul which she focuses on the soul uh, a lot in her writing. And the soul is deep. It's not that first layer. It's not even that second layer 
of looking inward. Like there, there is a lot to uncover to actually get to the soul. And so whenever the soul is laid bare before God, that is when union is starting to happen. And so a lot of times it's like only the gratitudes, right? (laughs) Only bringing the things that you're thankful for before God. But I don't know that's how you achieve union. I think it's bringing everything. It's the, the things that you're struggling with, the things that you're having a hard time with, as well as the gratitude. Yeah, it's interesting. I've been very impressed upon lately by those moments in the Psalms where David goes, how long, O Lord? And I don't often address God in that way. That's just not, it's, it's more collected and more put together in a way than that. But yeah, when you start to connect with, and this is in part cultural and many years ago, but these, this whole experience of ripping your clothes, like tearing the sackcloth and it's desperate and it's emotional and it's raw and it's real. And yeah. And it's also sandwiched in there just to note, right? There'll be this, give these praises, give your asks, share the good deeds. It is sandwiched in. And again, when you think of those difficulties, I tend to wonder, so you're in a secluded spot for nine months. What do you praise about? What is there? And which is different. I think in my own life, in the humdrums or whatever experiences of life, it can be like, oh, can I experience God in my house cleaning and my cooking? Can I experience God in all of those little ways? There's many levels and many questions about what this is. But I think I aspire in this union way to feel like I don't pop in and out of God's presence, but to feel, oh, God is with me as I'm cutting these vegetables, not just to know it intellectually, but to live in some sort of experiential way, which I think, again, I feel like I pop in, I pop out. And maybe that leads to my second question around this whole spiritual birthright aspect, right? So she talks about union with God as a spiritual birthright. And so how do we experience stuff like that? What does that mean? So I find myself, as we're listening to her story, thinking about like extreme examples of people that have had suffering and lament. So I'm not sure that I'm going to completely touch on your, I find myself thinking about really extreme examples, probably because you talking about someone in a tower for nine months secluded is quite extreme. And I, I think in the plight of humanity, the number of people that have to experience that are very few. And those do tend to be the people like Viktor Frankl or the people that we really look to as these amazing people that we aspire towards, but they're few and far between. And so again, what does that mean? And Chris, I'm I'm going back to a comment you had about getting to the soul level is not like there's some layers to, to get to that, right? And yet we are part of humanity and our journey does matter too. And us all coming to God sandwiched in with the, the asks and the laments and the praise and all of that. And so I think I'm just with some wonderings of what does that look like to, does one have to have the extreme to have that? Or is there invitation for all of humankind to experience those things? And I I think what you're saying now, Christina, is that if this is a spiritual birthright, then it's for all, it doesn't have to be the extremes, that maybe there are some people that their life journey is their life journey, and they are those extreme people unto whatever reasons that, that they are. But that doesn't mean that we have to then go to the extremes to experience that. I think what I'm hearing is that spiritual birthright means like for all and finding that way personally. Yeah. I'm struck by the word birthright because I think the context that I put that in is the first the firstborn son 
<laughs> there's this passing along of the good stuff from family. And I loved what you just said, Christina, about birthright is for all, because, and I think it was probably that way in biblical scriptures as well. It, it, it wasn't just the firstborn son was the dispense the dispenser of the good stuff being passed along from generation to generation. But I love the notion of even this series on the mystics, right? What are these amazing things that are being passed on to us of their faith journeys that contribute to our own faith journeys? So I, I love thinking about our spiritual birthright in that sense, because there are so many giants that live before us. But again, that's just us looking at people that are published or whatever. But I believe that there are many giants out there who didn't get published that we can look to. And it's we look for the glamorous. We look for the bling. We look for the extraordinary. But I believe the extraordinary, uh, that's what this spiritual birthright says to me, is that there are many people who are encountering a, a beautiful union with God that are maybe sitting right next to me. And so that's what I think of. Yeah, I appreciate you saying that. And I, we just a couple of weeks ago had back-to-back funerals, one that Chris and I were, were facilitating for a, a friend's mother who passed away. And then the second one was my aunt's funeral. And and again, both of these women are not published authors by any stretch of the imagination, but both have walked through some really ch- challenging things in their lives and just the opportunity of family to gather around and to celebrate and to name all of that and the inspiration that they are with a handful of people sitting in a church or a chapel. They're not going to be anywhere on Time Magazine and yet very deep impact. And so I really appreciate what you're saying, Chris, because I do think that there are those spiritual giants or people that have gone through stuff that are sitting right next to us. I think that's beautiful and true. Yeah. Even as you're talking, I think of a story I was recounting to one of our kids because I wanted to get their permission to use the story before I I used it, but they had been young when this happened. And so they had forgotten, but they had a really bad day and lost an object that was very meaningful to them. And this teacher saw them crying (laughs) in the hall. They were trying to hide it and then offered up this beautiful bracelet in exchange for a lost bracelet. And as I recounted the story back to her, even though it had happened to her, she's crying. And it is beautiful because sometimes we experience God unexpectedly through other people, through a breeze blowing in a tree. It's really unclear how we're going to experience union with God on a day-to-day basis. So I appreciate both of you bringing all of this up and having this conversation with me. Thank you so much. And now is the time in our podcast where we take a moment to talk about what we are into. And what are we into today? I am into our folding wagon. This thing has like incredible wheels that can go on different terrains. It folds up neatly in the back of our vehicle, but we have used this all the time for like carrying things to the park or the beach or the pool and it's sturdy and it fits a lot of stuff. It's really deep. And every time I get it out, I think I'm so glad we purchased this massive utility foldable wagon. So that is what I am into. You know, I think I've been into this before, but it's a gift that keeps on giving. I am into hot sauces. We have some exchange students that are with us and 
We have some peppers growing. We have some habaneros. We have some uh, jalapenos. I've been trying some of the peppers, but we have some hot sauces in the fridge. And our children love to show off my tolerance for heat. And so they get toothpicks out and they let our exchange students try the the different levels of heat. And then I, I of course, uh, get to perform at the end by getting the hottest sauce, which I think in the freezer now is the Carolina Reaper. And, and they just start dumping it into my mouth. And just the look of shock that is on their faces, having gone through two glasses of milk, uh, from just a little sample size of a toothpick. So we've been having a lot of fun with hot sauces. That's what I've been into. I find this strange feeling happening in my stomach, even as you share the story. <laughs> oh, Christina, I also love our fold out utility wagon. Three cheers, I guess is the saying. We have been into furnishing our greenhouse lately. So we built a greenhouse a few weeks ago, and then you can't really put anything in it that way. You have to go get some stuff to plant things in. And while we were at the store, there was this really colorful metal sculpture frog. It's like there's all these different colors on the body and the head bobbles on this metal coil. And I didn't want to get it because it was just like superfluous money or whatever. But my husband is much more. He will splurge for the sake of joy faster than I am. So he just put it in the cart and we brought it home and it lives in the greenhouse and it brings me daily joy. And the kids are very interested in it. And I just feel like, yeah, it's going to snow and there's still going to be this little bit of really bright, vibrant colors. I'm all into it. Thank you so much for being with us this week. And we'll look forward to being with you again soon. If you enjoy listening to the podcast, we invite you to stay connected by signing up for our Foundry Spiritual Center newsletter, where you can learn about even more programs and offerings. You'll find a link to subscribe in the show notes or visit us anytime at foundrysc.com. Thanks again for being with us. We hope you have a great week. Uh-huh.